Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr Mikola Benson. It's hard to believe it, but we've been podcasting now for six months. The project's been up and running since the beginning of June, and it's definitely well underway. With that in mind, and with the fact that this is our last episode before Christmas, I thought it was probably a good time to introduce you to some of the other members of the project team. You've met Karen and I before in the podcast when we've talked about the diversity of the British population living in the EU27 and about our past research with Britons living in France and Spain. But today, I also want to introduce you to and bring into the conversation Catherine Collins and Chantal Lewis, who've been working with us on the Citizens Panel. We recorded this episode in the studio at the end of November when we were celebrating a few birthdays within the project team. And it was a lovely opportunity to come together to talk about where we'd got to with the project and our experiences of working on a live issue. So I started by asking Catherine about her experiences of setting up the citizens panel and of recruiting people to take part in this ongoing and dynamic element of the project. Recruiting for the citizens panel has been a combination of very, very easy and very difficult because a lot of people, a lot of British people living in the EU are very keen to contribute and to have their voices heard and very eager to help us with our research, which has been brilliant for us and we're really grateful for their their contributions. Uh, but the challenge has been in making sure that the panel is diverse and reflects the diversity of experience of British people in the EU. So we've had lots of people volunteer and we've done a survey to try to find out who those people are and what age they are, where they live, and various other aspects of their experience, which we've had a great response to. We've put some on our website already. There's going to be a new release of that data very soon. And we found some very interesting things. So we've got a great distribution of people in the different EU27 countries, except for Ireland. So if anyone knows anyone in Ireland, please do encourage them to get in touch with us. We've got a good balance of people who live in cities, people who live in towns, and people who live very rurally. We've got a number of disabled people who are volunteering on the panel. We've got a good range of uh, different age groups, young people. We, I think the, the, the panel ranges from people in their early 20s to one panelist who's 94. So there's a fabulous diversity of age. But one of the things that I think Chantelle is going to talk about is diversity of race on the panel. Yeah, so I joined the research project to try and make the sample a little bit more inclusive of people of colour. It is one of, we've just been discussing how it's a bit of a myth that British living abroad are all white. Um, I can tell you that's not the case. (laughs) Um, It's been really interesting because I think even myself, I sort of associate British people living abroad as white. It is something which we sort of, it's a stereotype which has a lot of 
body to it basically it's something that we we do probably associate a bit too much so it's been interesting for me to actually see the scale of people or the potential scale of people that aren't white what aren't white that are living within one of the EU 27 countries. So between the two of you what would you say are the particular challenges that you have been facing within the citizens panel I suppose I suppose that's a way of putting it. Well for me the the challenge hasn't been recruitment it has been finding the best way to encourage people to respond. Not that people don't want to respond, but the means with which we offer them to do that. Originally, what we wanted to do was to make it very open to allow people to respond in all sorts of ways, whether they wanted to record us a video, which has happened one or two occasions, whether they wanted to talk to us, which has also happened and whether they wanted to write for us in different ways. And most people have found that writing is what they want to do. That's the way that they want to respond. But I think perhaps the terror of the blank page has been a problem for some people. So we've been looking at ways, or I've been looking at ways, to make that easier, to give people uh, more direction, I suppose, and more help in how we want them to respond and prompting them to uh, think about different things to write about without funneling them down a particular route, without guiding them too much, as you might with a survey, and therefore restricting the kind of things that they say. So that's an ongoing challenge for me, finding the, the creativity to encourage people. I mean, I suppose this is a really good point to come in and say um, <laughs> what we're trying to do with the citizens panel. That's something that I think that some people might might be wondering. Do you want to reflect on that a little bit as well, Catherine? Well, what we're trying to do with the citizen citizens panel, I think, is a couple of things. It's to encourage a great variety of different experiences into the research. So the interviews that Karen and Mikola are doing, I think, have gone into a lot of depth of individual experiences. So the second thing that we wanted to do with the panel was to have um, what we call a longitudinal study so that we would go back again and again to the same people to track their experiences. So over the course of this year, as the negotiations unfold, different things will happen, different decisions will be announced, and we want to to track how people's experiences change over time as the negotiations unfold and as we learn new things about the Brexit deal and how that will affect Brits living in the EU, 27. Yeah, I think definitely the important thing to say is that Brexit is a process and it's ongoing, as we've documented elsewhere in the blogs that Karen and I have both written for the project based on our research in France and Spain. It's already having an impact on people's lives, but but nothing's actually been decided, nothing's actually been agreed on that legal level yet. Um, so we're very keen to track those types of things. Chantelle, I'm going to come over to you and, and speak to you about your experience, because I think one of the things that you've been doing over the past couple of weeks has been having some conversations with, with some of the people that you've been recruiting to the panel. And I know that you haven't done large, large numbers, but, but something quite interesting is coming across in those those brief interviews that you've been doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly when I'm talking to people of colour, it's really interesting how 
um, and quite sad, obviously, how Brexit, discussing Brexit is as important as discussing the racism associated with their position as people of colour. So a lot of our conversations, even though we w- I want to talk to them about how Brexit has made them feel, what it means for their circumstances and their citizens' rights, something that has been really important for people to share with me is about how um, racism has been something which has affected their lives either before moving to one of the EU27 countries or whilst living in one of the EU27 countries and also how they don't really feel like they are part of the British living in Europe because they're not white. So it has been interesting and that is definitely a recurring theme, even though I've only spoke to not as many people as um, Catherine, but there are real themes that are coming out with regards to that, yeah. A couple of things come to mind when you say that. And and one is that um, we have to remember when we're interviewing people that we, we're not there to exploit them. We're there to listen to them. And, you know, if there are other things they want to talk about, then we should give them that space to talk about those things. And that's, um, I think that's ethically important. But it's also important in terms of what we want to learn because we're learning about people's lives and that's a really important dimension of their lives. So I think that's really interesting. And it is something that I've been feeling as well when I've been talking to people that, you know, realising that I don't have as much power as people might like to think I have because you know people have got some very painful stories that they want to share with us and and we need to listen to those stories and give give them a voice can I just ask you is there some racism that's come out that as a result of Brexit I mean is this separate from Brexit or is it Brexit related so it's a mixture of both some conversations that I've had have focused on how for them Britain has changed in the last even five years and they haven't felt like it's home anymore and that with regard to in particular people have mentioned the media and how they position um, immigrants and people that are uh, people of colour so there's that there's that side to it and then there's also the side of the Brexit campaign and post-Brexit Britain and what that means and where they are and how looking at Britain now as a place that they see has become more um, hostile to people for people of colour. So I think it's a combination of Brexit, the racism that was brought has been brought out in Brexit, and a more long term feeling of not being part of Britain anymore, not feeling like they're part of Britain anymore. And also, um, some people have discussed with me how they feel in one of the the countries they live in within the EU twenty seven, how racism that they've experienced there, whether that be through verbal assault, some physical, and with that fueled by racism, um, which is obviously really sad. And that is difficult as a researcher, like you get this feeling that this sort of like they're sharing these stories, a bit of a weight off their shoulder and it's quite therapeutic for them. But obviously I don't want to, like Karen said, you, you don't, I don't have any power to do anything um, for these people, but it puts you in a difficult position as a researcher, basically. I mean, I think that this kind of raises a few, a few, particularly your case has raised a few points, which are to do with the language of exclusion. So even, you know, in framing the project around British people who live abroad, 
Um, I remember having a conversation with a colleague where she said, well, there'll be some Scottish people who definitely won't come forward because they don't see themselves as British. And as you were saying, um, this idea of people being, it goes back to this age-old issue about whether people are migrants or expats or and what the connotations are that people associate with those different languages and those different phrases that are in regular circulation or Brits abroad, which of course also features in the title of our project. And, you know, we're never going to be able to resolve this issue about whether people are expats or migrants to a large degree. People, people adopt their own, um, their own interpretations and their own understandings of those things. But nevertheless, what's, what's more interesting to us and more important, actually, in terms of framing the project is to think about the work that those phrases are doing and why it might be that certain members of the of people that we might consider generally as British people living abroad might not necessarily be coming forward through those calls, which is why we've been doing that more targeted type of recruitment. But I do also think that this combination of both racism and Brexit together, the inseparability of those two things is really fascinating. So I'm going to, I am going to briefly come over to Karen because, um, we have both been doing research in places that we'd previously done research. And I think it might be interesting to hear a little bit about how research this time has been different to the research that you've carried out for the last 25 years. I'm actually going to start by going back to recruitment, but I'm answering your question in as much as... Um, so I went to Spain for two and a half weeks a little while ago. The idea was... I would kind of sound things out and just see who I could get access to and and then make some appointments for next time. I perhaps speak to a few people while I was there. And as you probably know, I was blown away. So many people just came forward to want to talk about the project. Um, and I broke every rule in the book about um, interviewing. I was interviewing two or three times a day, long, long interviews, um, several people in a group together um, and the transcriber is not finding it easy because, you know, interviews in some very difficult places, noisy bars and noisy cafes and one with a group of Spanish people playing dominoes next to us, which was going to be very difficult. But, you know, I had to take the opportunity when I could and, and talk to people where I could because so many people want to talk about this. Now, there are different aspects to that, but just to start with, again, with the recruitment issue, I've now had to just stop and think and I'm probably, I'm going back for a month in January and I'm probably going to have to do something I've never had to do before and actually tell people I don't have time for everyone. And this is actually heartbreaking. <laughs> I really don't want to do it. But I'm just having to put people on hold and say I won't book you up yet because I want to make sure that I do speak to a diversity of people. And I want, for example, to try to get more people to talk to me who either voted leave or would have voted leave if they could or were ambivalent about it. Because one thing that's really come out is that this split is not as clear as we would like to to characterise it, that there are people who were not really sure where they stand. And I want to talk to some of those people. I want to talk to some younger people. Um, I did meet a couple of disabled people and I want to make sure I've, I've got time for them. I found some people who are living in a nursing home. I want to make sure I've got some time for them. Uh, some people who are working as counsellors, and I could go on for for too long. So I'll, I'll come back to you. That you know that that's the first thing is that you know we we want to make sure that we embrace this diversity and give 
all types of people a voice. But it's difficult to to have to not to turn down people who want to do an interview. And I've carried on doing interviews by Skype since I got home because I want to give space to people who want to talk to us. They're interesting stories. They're really fascinating stories. The thing that I've been most struck by when I've been talking to people is how differently people understand what's happening to them or, or their perceptions of what might happen or what this might mean for them because, of course, everything's still so uncertain. But the other thing I wanted to say was um, I wanted to reflect a little bit on what it's like, not just in terms of recruitment, but also in terms of talking about a topic that is so, I'm going to use the word live, an issue that, at least in Britain, is the topic of everyday newsfeed, I suppose, the newsreel. Every day there is something about Brexit, even if it's nothing. So I think that that's also given it a particular flavour. And I think, Chantal, you you had some, some things to say about that, that. These are things that we've discussed a little bit. And certainly Mike, who's in Spain at the moment, doing some work from us in Granada, has also sent me some reflections on this. Yeah, there is something really, obviously, it's really interesting researching on a topic that is so live, but it's also difficult because it brings out really difficult topics for these people's lives. Like this is, I'm talking to people about stuff that's happened to them, all that they don't know is what the uncertainty surrounding what's happening to them. And you can't underestimate the emotion associated with that uncertainty and how the extent to which I'm just asking them questions about how something is making them feel. I can't give them any answers. And it is difficult. It's difficult. And I've had a, I've had a couple of people get up quite upset um, in interviews. And it's really hard to know what to say because I can't, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do to change the situation. And it's hard. I was going to talk about the um, the liveness of the issue and interviewing about difficult topics because in or I think pretty much all of the research that I've ever done has involved interviewing people about difficult topics and hearing difficult stories and needing to respect people's emotions and um behave responsibly and ethically as a researcher but the difference with this issue is it is affecting all of us right now even those of us who aren't um, living in the EU27 those of us who are not an EU citizen living here it it may affect the way that we work and the way that we find jobs and our children so it is the, the biggest it's changing what it means to be British it's changing what it means to be European for all of us so I, I don't think I can't think of another project that I'm even aware of that has been right in the centre of such a significant change to our politics, our identity, our economy, for everyone. Yeah, and if I can just come in there as well. Um, I was talking to my window cleaner the other day <laughs> about the project and he said, but isn't there a way in which, well, they left the country... And so why should we worry about them? <laughs> and I think he wished he hadn't said it because about an hour later, 
He left the room absolutely convinced that we do need to worry about these people. You know, and I started with saying, yes, okay, they left the country. And those of us who left the country 15 years ago weren't allowed to vote. And we made a vote that has affected them so profoundly, one. And then I just started to tell him some of the stories. And the the interviews I've done, well, I know Chantelle has found the same thing. One thing is they're taking a long time. Because we want to get to know people. We want to know about them and their lives. So we ask them stories about their stories and about themselves. Um, but that takes that takes long enough. And then they start to talk about Brexit. And, and then that takes even longer. So the, the interviews are lasting a very long time. They're incredibly emotional. Many times people have been crying or rambling, at least, or, or you know, very, very emotional. Exactly as Kate... Katie said, it's, it's the emotion we're going through as well, because I'm listening to these things and saying, oh, I, I hadn't thought of that. Oh, another Every every interview has thrown up another angle. Well, you know, I've got children living in Australia, and I'm not sure where, you know, where they're going to be able to come. And if they, and I've adopted a child who's, who's now an adult, and will he be able to come and live with us? And I'm disabled. My wife is disabled, and we're not sure whether I'll still be able to get carer's allowance for her. And it, it's just constant, absolutely constant. And, and it's being live as well. People are having to make decisions right now, but they can't make the decisions. They're not in a position. So they're living in this complete limbo. But some of them are making decisions. So I spoke to a woman who's 86 years old and having lived in Spain over 30 years has decided to return to the UK. And it's not because of what she is actually happening now, but it's because she's got to make a decision now about what might happen in the future. Because if she waits much longer, she's worried that she'll have dementia or you know not have the ability to make that decision. So she's making the decision to go home to what actually to her is a foreign country. I think we've covered quite a lot of topics there and we're we're running out of time. <laughs> but I thought that that was a nice way of introducing you to the whole of the project team, bar Mike, who's in Granada. And to give you a sense of what it's been like working on the project so far, and I'm sure that we'll do another update at some stage in the near future. But for now, I'm just going to say thank you to my wonderful team and we'll speak again soon. Thank you for listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. If you've enjoyed what we've been talking about today and want to find out more, check out our website www.brexitbritsabroad.com or you can follow us on social media via Twitter at BrexPatsEU and on Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And I'll speak to you again soon.